special music will be brought to us by uh, Sylvia and uh, Risha and her daughter. beautiful and wonderful. We're glad you're here. At this time, we have a scripture reading in uh, Matthew 5, 17 to 20. Matthew 5, 17 to 20. It's a little long, so if you want to follow along, why, welcome. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets, I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least of these commandments, and shall teach them so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, The same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Okay, at this time we'll have our sermon by Elder uh, Paul uh, Hawks. And... uh, he has. He was the um, speech communicating uh, um, 
professor at PUC for some time, after which he went into pastoral work and has been doing that for the last 20-plus years. And uh, he was a pastor in Ukiah, and he's just recently retired. So welcome, um, Elder Paul Hawks. And his uh, sermon of the entitled The Commandments of Jesus. So welcome, Elder Hawks. Good morning. God bless you each. Betty and I are happy to be here from Ukiah. And uh, I suppose it's a bit of an apology that we've lived in Ukiah for over 11 years. And this is our first time in the Fort Bragg Church. But uh, you have a lovely church here, and we were welcomed very warmly. And it's good to see a a few familiar faces also. uh, I know how blessed you are to have Sylvia Burlew in this congregation because, because she was one of our main organists in Ukiah until, I don't know, maybe it was about nine or ten years ago, eight or nine, and uh, she, made a, a, she had a, a great contribution to make uh, musically and, and personally as well uh, there. Also, it, it's good to see Dr. Jennings and his wife here uh, when I was teaching at Pacific Union College, they were neighbors, not next door, but just several hundred yards away from where we lived, uh, is where the Jennings lived. And uh, it's good to make that connection again after many, many years. Wow. But the most important connection that any of us can have is our connection with God. And I uh, would share with you... uh, an experience that I had a couple of months ago. I've been meeting actually for several years with, uh, with a fellow who works at Harley-Davidson Motorcycles. And uh, that little visitation that we have fairly regularly on a weekly basis not only has involved Bible study for this, uh, this fellow named Dan, uh, he calls himself when he answers the phone, Dan, Dan, the Harley man. <laughs> but he has invited some other people, including people, uh, another person who works at the Harley Davidson. And more recently, there, there are about four or five of us that uh, meet together on a fairly regular basis. And it's, it's wonderful fellowship. We're all from different, different denominational or Christian backgrounds. But it is a wonderful thing to be able to share together in fellowship, share Bible study, and uh, not have a, a feeling that any of us is, is uh, trying to push ourselves on the other individuals. So it's been a blessing for me both to give and receive in this group. And one day, Dan Dan the Harley Man brought something that he had copied off of the Internet. In fact, there were a couple of those documents about the commandments of Jesus. And interesting, though these came from different sources, they each had 38 commandments on a list that were taken from the New Testament, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and the lists are just a little bit different, but they ended up with 38. But that's to let you know, to let me know, that there were many of the things which Jesus said to individuals as well as in larger groups 
that were like commands that come from God. Now, as Seventh-day Adventists, we place quite a, a significant impact, or let's say we give particular significance to the Ten Commandments, which come from the Old Testament. And oftentimes, when Christians today are referring to the commands of Jesus, they sidestep that particular emphasis. They may not acknowledge the Ten Commandments as being one of the commands of Jesus. But it is interesting, we will not turn to the the passage, but in three of the four Gospels, the story is told of a rich, rather youthful administrator, possibly the administrator of the local synagogue, but we often refer to him as the rich young ruler, came to Jesus and he said, Master, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And in the account in Matthew, Jesus responds saying, keep the commandments. And, and the rich young ruler asks, well, what commandments are you talking about? And Jesus very clearly starts enumerating commandments that are taken, that are a part of the Ten Commandments from Exodus chapter 20, back in the time of Moses. Now, the giving of the Ten Commandments at Sinai predated Jesus by about 1,500 years. But Jesus saw that as being at the core, at the core of what we should do. And Jesus said, if you keep the commandments, you shall enter into life. You shall enter into life. But, but many Christians today think that sounds kind of severe, kind of old-fashioned, and, and from their perspective of salvation as it was received or imparted in Old Testament times compared with New Testament, they look at it as a time of law when you earn your salvation by keeping the commandments, whereas they look at the New Testament as the time of grace and a time of faith where the commandments are no longer at the center. But Jesus acknowledged that the keeping of the commandments was central to a saving relationship. But that has, that has, while that has been an emphasis in the Seventh-day Adventist faith since its beginnings in the mid-1800s, there's, there's a tendency sometimes for us to look at the keeping of the commandments is something that earns our salvation. The religious leaders in the time of Jesus were very particular about keeping not only the commandments, but really a multitude of regulations and laws which they had created beyond, beyond the words of Moses, beyond the books of Moses, the Pentateuch, and the Old Testament. Now, there was a reason for this, and, and I, I, I think it would sound like a fairly reasonable explanation to most of us today if we had gone through what the Jews of the time of Jesus historically had gone through five, four hundred years before. The majority of the Jewish race had been uh, dislodged from their homeland. They'd been taken to Babylon. They had been in captivity, it refers to in Scripture. 
And, and they knew that the reason that God had allowed this to take place was because of their rebelliousness against God and their idolatry. Combining the worship of other gods with the worship of the true God, Jehovah. They did not want that to happen again. So as they returned to their homeland in Israel, they began putting together laws, they began putting together restrictions that that they hoped would prevent them from falling away from God, that would prevent them from experiencing the consequences such as the the years of activity, act, uh, captivity in Babylon and Persia and the various empires that ruled that part of the country for a number of years. So when Jesus came, he wanted to explain to the people of Israel. He wanted to help them understand, and I believe that he wants us to understand today, that merely following laws and rules and regulations is not going to bring us into a saving relationship with God. Doesn't mean that the law no longer exists. For the law points out to us the kind of living, the kind of character, the kind of practice of the faith that is that for which we were created in the first place. But if we merely focus on the law and how we might, in our own minds, be in conformity with the law, we are leaving out a very significant, very significant element that we might call attitude and relationship. The law was intended to bring us into a better relationship with God, a friendship with God. An attitude, a positive attitude toward him. And an understanding that this law really was the very best and happiest way to live. And so, as it was on the night before Jesus' crucifixion, Jesus was speaking to his disciples. He had completed the celebration of the Passover that which became a Christian celebration of the death and resurrection of Christ, the communion, the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper. He'd finished that, and he was talking to his disciples about, well, he was talking to them about the fact that he was going to be going away. He was talking about them giving them encouragement that the Holy Spirit would come in, a, in an expanded measure such as they had never known before while he was still here on earth. And he talked to them about God's law or the essence of his commandments. I want to read for you. You may wish to turn there to Gospel of John, chapter 15. Gospel of John, chapter 15. And beginning with verse 9, Jesus, he was speaking directly to his disciples. 
How many here today consider themselves to be disciples of Jesus? Are you a disciple of Jesus? Certainly we're followers of Jesus, aren't we? Amen. As the Father loved me, Jesus said, I also have loved you. He's talking to the twelve. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to you and to me today. He loves us. Abide in my love, he says. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. And now notice verse 12. John 15, verse 12. You may even wish to jot that down as a note and reread this passage. But in verse 12, Jesus says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. This is my commandment, that you love one another. It didn't just stop there. He said, love one another as I have loved you. Well, how is it that Jesus loved us? He gave his life for us. In fact, he continues on there in verse 13. Greater love has no man than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. You are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Now, in terms of contemporary psychology, I suppose that sounds a little bit like conditional love. If you do what I command you, then you're my friends. But he has demonstrated that we are his friends by his sacrifice for us. And and friendship has to go two ways. And if we trust Jesus enough to follow what he says, that makes us even closer friends with the one who saved us and his Father, God in heaven. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Now, you know, sentimentally, that that really sounds pretty simple. That sounds pretty good. Don't you like the warm feeling that comes to you when people say that they love you? Well, if the right people say that they love you. Don't... Don't you like the sound of of the word love, uh, that it means that everybody's going to be happy and in unity, and, and, you know, everything's copacetic. But I want to return to the scripture passage, which we read a little bit ago from Matthew chapter 5. That was at the beginning of the first sermon that the Gospels record Jesus preaching when he was here on earth, after his baptism, and as he was beginning his ministry. Matthew chapter 5. The very beginning of the chapter has what we call the Beatitudes. And he's pronouncing these blessings on people. And he especially here is pronouncing his blessings on those who probably, in light of the church attendance of their day and what they were hearing from their religious leaders, people who felt like they were really second-class citizens of the kingdom of God. People who just didn't measure up. 
And Jesus is pronouncing these blessings upon those who do have love, who do have sincerity in the way that they live. Those who are not hypocrites. They're very teachable. They recognize, they recognize that God is their guide as well as their salvation. Then he kind of addresses, and the scripture passage we read this morning, beginning with verse 17, he kind of is speaking here now to the religious leaders. Well, I don't know how many of the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees, were actually there listening to him on this Sermon on the Mount. But I'm sure the word got back to them. But I'm also sure that the words which Jesus spoke were very surprising, were maybe confusing to the people who were listening, who felt like they were second-class citizens in the kingdom of God. Verse 20, For I say to you, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. What? These religious leaders of ours, they seem so holy. They seem like they have it all together in their lives. The way they talk about it, they're living a much higher standard of the keeping of the law than we are. How is it possible that that we could have more righteousness than the pastor or the Sabbath school teacher or, you know, the ones who are the religious leaders? How could anybody possibly attain that? Especially those of us who are just lay members of the congregation. I'm glad for what Jesus explained as he opened up Scripture and the various laws of God that the people understood. And he said, it's much more than just keeping outwardly certain laws. Let's take a look at that. Verse 21. You have heard, Jesus said, that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder And whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in anger of the judgment, in danger of the judgment. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands here for those who committed murder. Well, it's possible that somebody has, but you know, Jesus is saying that's not the issue. Maybe you never committed murder in a physical sense, but if you've been angry at people, if you have hatred in your heart toward others, you've committed murder in terms of the spirit of that law, in terms of attitude. Now, I'm grateful that I've never committed murder for more than one reason, certainly one, that I haven't had to spend time in prison as an inmate. I've had a great blessing in visiting people in prison, but it's nice to be able to walk out the door also. 
But I have to confess, I'm a sinner. And there have been people that have distressed me in their lives and the way that they behave, the way that they have talked. People right within the church family. You know how that goes. That you have very difficult, a difficult time knowing how to relate to them. And, and sometimes there are those feelings of, of hatred or of anger that are not motivated by love. They're not motivated by a desire to try to understand where the other person is coming from. Jesus says, you know, it goes a lot deeper than just the external statement of the law. And, and then he starts to talk about adultery. Verse 27, you've heard it said to those of old, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. So here again, I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands of those who either committed adultery or those who have done it in their heart. But I think, you know, this is not just a problem for men. Women, too, have... A desire, you know, the word lust means desire. And, and what Jesus is talking about here is an unholy desire. God gives us lots of desires that are, that are based on His unconditional love. But the desire to possess another person, to control another person, to feel like you have them in your hand. You can do what you wish with them. You can use another person. That, that really is a kind of a lust or a desire for another person. Who of us has not experienced some of that in our own lives? You know, we, we can brag to ourselves, maybe even to other people, that we've never had an affair with somebody else, or we've never had a divorce or whatever. And by the way, God's people experience those kinds of things too. Is there any hope? Jesus is saying, you know, if it's what in the, in the heart, what's in the heart, and how we look at other people, how we see them, how we think about them, that is a reflection of that total law. It's not merely the outward behaviors. It's what's in the heart. Well, now, a little bit ago I said it was encouraging what Jesus was saying, but now I'm beginning to think, this is not very encouraging. My law-keeping is not good enough. Maybe, maybe I'm beginning to understand what Jesus was saying about the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious leaders of his day, that... Unless your righteousness exceeds that of the religious leaders, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Somehow there's got to be more to this message. I can't leave you right there today. Jesus goes on to talk about marriage. He talks about making oaths or swearing to be telling the truth or promising to do things 
and not keeping those promises. He talks about going the second mile. Verse 43, you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Pray for those who spitefully use you and persecute you. And Jesus, you've just pointed me to a, a hopeless, endless round of self-centeredness that rises every day within my heart and mind. Is there any hope? Is there anything that can be encouraging to us about these commands of Jesus, that we love one another as he has loved us. Well, I've got many texts written down, but I'm just going to give you a couple of them as we conclude from the Apostle Paul's writings. One of them comes from Paul's letter to the Christian believers in the city of Rome. The book of Romans, chapter 3. Romans, chapter 3. And if you look at the 20th verse, you will find a conclusion to a theme which is rich in several of the Apostle Paul's letters to the early Christian believers in different communities and different congregations. And that is that by the deeds of the law, no one is justified in God's sight. In other words, no matter how much we try to live according to the standard, we cannot come close to achieving that standard. I don't want to, I, I, I'm not wanting to discount in any way the validity of the Ten Commandments. Not at all. But here's what he writes. Romans 3, verse 20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. So one of the purposes of the law being given was to help us comprehend how far short we fall. And in that same chapter in verse 23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So so what Paul is saying here is that we need to come to the point of recognizing that we genuinely need a Savior. God intends for us to find joy and happiness in life by keeping the Ten Commandments and doing our best to fulfill both the letter of the law and the spirit of the law. That's His desire for us. But we will not be able to achieve that total happiness and peace within. Because when we look at that law, we recognize that we are not living up to it entirely. 
as hard as we try, we are not living up to it entirely. We are sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We need a Savior. Amen. We need someone who will save us in terms of forgiving us for our shortfall, but also someone who will empower us to be able to grow into a fuller understanding of and practice of the law, both the letter and the spirit. We need a Savior. In fact, Paul states that even a little more specifically when he writes to the Christian believers in the province of Galatia. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 24. The apostle is not only saying that it points out sin, but, but... What do we do then when we recognize that we are sinners? Galatians 3, verse 23. Pardon me, verse 24. Therefore the law was our tutor. In other words, our teacher. The nice thing about that word tutor there is that that implies something personal. Somebody that's one-on-one with you. Not just a, a government publication that happens to come out over the internet or yeah. announced on the evening news or whatever it is. It's personal. And through the law, God intends to work personally with us. Therefore, the law was our tutor to do what? To bring us to Christ. To bring us to Christ that we might be justified by faith. That we might have that personal relationship with our tutor, with our, with our teacher, with the one who personally is relating to us. And in Romans chapter 2 and verse 4, it says that it is the goodness of God, one of the translations has the kindness of God that leads us to repentance. Oh yes, I recognize that for many of us, there are times when threats, when condemnation, which, when a belittling of who we are or what we have done will bring about a change in behavior and may make us appear to be repentant. But as the old saying is, a man convinced against his will is of the same opinion still. Condemnation may bring about a change in somebody's behavior. But the deeper levels of repentance are that we recognize that those destructive behaviors are things that are making life miserable for us and probably for other people too. And as the scripture says, it is our iniquities that separate us from God. God does not want to be separated from us. It is our iniquities. But it is the kindness of God, it is the goodness of God that leads us to the deeper levels of repentance so that we don't want that destructive junk in our lives anymore. We want to be at peace with ourselves. We want to be at peace with others. We want to be especially at peace with God. And so Paul says, 
The law was our tutor to bring us to Christ, that we might be justified by faith. The commandments of Jesus are not in disagreement with the commandments of the Old Testament. The commandments of Jesus are not intended to have us discard the Ten Commandments of the Old Testament. They are both a perfect revelation, a perfect transcript, as it were, of the love of God and how he wants his love to be shared by us and to be shared in us. As we close today, I'd like for us to sing together hymn number 187 that points us to the fact that Jesus is a friend of sinners. And I'm hoping today that we'll be able to identify this with ourselves as being the sinner that Jesus is a friend to. I'm not saying this in any way to condemn you or to put down upon us by saying we are sinners. It's an acknowledgement of the reality of who we are and that our selfish natures bring forth some of those undesirable traits, characteristics, and behaviors. But Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's your friend and my friend today. Let's stand together. Hymn number 187. First, well, let's sing all verses. Do we have time for that? Yeah, let's sing all the verses. They're beautiful. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. He's the lover of my soul. Foes assail me. My Savior makes me whole. Alleluia, what a Savior. Alleluia, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving. He is with me to the end. Jesus, what a strength for weakness. Let me hide myself in him. Tempted, tried, and sometimes failing, he my strength, my victory wins. Alleluia, what a Savior. Alleluia, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, he is with me. Jesus, what a help in sorrow while the billows Heart is breaking, he my comfort helps my soul Alleluia, what a Savior, Alleluia 
receive him or than all in him I find hath granted me forgiveness I am his and he is mine hallelujah what a savior hallelujah what a friend being helping keeping loving he is with me to the end eternal father we thank you for your son jesus christ that you and he the holy spirit and all the angels of heaven have declared yourself as our friends. Lord, we confess to you today that we are sinners. We confess to you that if we merely look at the outward part of the law, that that may seem easier to us to achieve than the fullness of the implications of that law, the spirit of the law. Lord, we can't do it. We can't do it on our own. But praise you, praise your Son, that... You have made a way for us to be friends with you, to have the forgiveness of sins, and to be receiving the power that overcomes our selfish natures. Lord, may we value this friendship. May we value your saving grace. May it make a difference in our lives and in the lives of those whom we connect with. May your blessing rest upon this congregation, upon those who are not here today. May your blessing rest upon this community because of the love of this congregation. And thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for the promise. Jesus is coming back again. We look forward to that. And we thank you in his name. And together we say, Amen. Amen. God bless you.